and welcome back to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. This is a special episode, not one that's part of the Stephen's Footy Insight series that you guys probably love and adore. I want to give a big shout out to all my fans and listeners from India to Spain to Germany to Fort Lauderdale, Miami uh, and Miami as well. I really appreciate all the attention and support and love you guys have been giving this podcast. It really keeps me driven and motivated to continue to pump out these episodes Monday to Friday or Monday and Friday, back to back, no Drake. I hope you guys have been enjoying the content. Plenty more to come, as I always say. And if you're really loving it, leave a rating or a review. Uh, it would really help across any platform, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it may be. Uh, it definitely would help get my uh, listenership up and would increase the uh, the volume that this podcast receives. And obviously, if you guys are loving it, I'm certain your recommendations would also be greatly appreciated because I think other people would also love it as well. But um, as I always say, without any further introduction, without any further waffle and nonsense talk, let's get straight into the FA Cup football talk. Let's start straight in Swindon Town, where a match between Manchester City and Swindon Town occurred in the third round of the FA Cup, a game that was easily won by Manchester City 4-1 thanks to goals from Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, Ilkay Gundogan, and Cole Palmer. Uh, Swindon Town weren't really that impressive on the day. I mean, they had some really good moments of defensive uh, spells where they were really repelling City's threat but as I say every time as you guys have probably heard me say thousands of times now City are unstoppable and when they want to turn it on they can turn it on I just want to say that this game was a Cole Palmer um, reveal show he really proved to us exactly who he is the kind of player he wants to become and exactly what he's capable of Cole Palmer looked mesmerizing looked like a uh, I don't know I don't want to say Messi you know that's always a terrible comparison because I don't think there's ever going to be a player like Lionel Messi the great ever again but he definitely was in some rich vein of form let's say and he played a spectacular game of football he was easily the man of the match in this game and uh, deservedly so that he won that because he was really really spectacular he stood out like a sore thumb in a good way if a sore thumb can can ever be considered a good thing but uh, he was involved in most of the goals and the goal he scored himself in the 82nd minute was exceptionally taken very well dispatched made it look very easy and just kind of cruised to victory as City were already 3-1 up at that time. And um, just to say that Cole Palmer is definitely setting a case you know, in the starting lineup for City. Obviously, City have so many options, especially in attacking areas that they can choose from. And uh, it's going to be difficult for him to find a place, obviously. But I think this performance would definitely speak to Pep Guardiola and tell him that Palmer can definitely make a difference, whether that's off the bench or simply starting from the first minute. But City winning 4-1, comfortable victors. Uh, I will not bore you guys with the details of the games between the likes of, um, I don't know, maybe let's say Cardiff and Preston, which finished 2-1, or Luton Town and, and Harrogate Town. I mean, if you're from there, then big up. Big respect to the teams that won. You know, I was always going to love to the teams that win. If you lose, not the end of the world, that's football. But if you win, of course, it's always nice. But we move to the next big, I guess, big game, you could call it, or the biggest upset, I should say, which is really between uh, Cambridge United and Newcastle and Burnley and Huddersfield. Now, Let's start off first with Cambridge versus Newcastle, a game that finished one nothing to Cambridge United, a very terrible result from a Newcastle perspective. Definitely a game that Newcastle will want to forget, despite the fact that they had the ball in the net twice, it was disallowed twice, and correctly so for offside and other decisions. But uh, Newcastle are now falling out of the FA Cup in their first a chance of, of uh, 
or first entry into the tournament, and Cambridge United, who are more known for their universities than they are, or for their school and academics, than they are for their footballing team, as they, the joke made by True Jordy, who's a, obviously a big Newcastle fan, if you guys don't know, was that uh, Cambridge United were playing a bunch of frat boys on the team and had a bunch of college guys just coming around and, and partying while on the pitch. So they won one nothing after a goal from Ironside. And uh, Cambridge looked pretty good in the game. I mean, they weren't the most convincing side. And I couldn't tell you that, that they were definitely the more uh, dominant team in the game. But I definitely would say that a one nothing victory isn't one that flatters them, given that they were defensively resolute for most of the match, despite the fact that Newcastle obviously did score. But as we know, football has been changed and been cont- entirely reshaped to a world where the refereeing decisions and VAR decisions are very, very crucial and very very uh, decisive in the matches and they really alter the overall outcomes a lot and if you go if you don't get the luck of the green that day then it's it might be wraps for you it might be that the last time you're in that tournament for that year and that's exactly what happened to newcastle burnley similar thing they lost to to hardestfield not really a good performance from burnley i mean burnley who fielded a decent lineup too not like they played anybody that was random they played a team they normally play in the premier league i'd say barring phil bardsley maybe but everyone else is a player that's definitely made many appearances for Burnley this season. And you would have expected that they would put out a better showing, especially given that they were playing at home. So with that in mind, Burnley will definitely look to bounce back in the Premier League next weekend, which is going to be full of tasty fixtures, which you guys definitely know I will be covering. I will be coming for all of those fixtures to give you guys a great review or preview and then a review of the games but we move on into the I guess more enticing and interesting fixtures which happened between Tottenham who won 3-1 I believe against Morecambe which was a great result for Tottenham obviously Tottenham wanting to bounce back from a terrible showing against Chelsea in midweek a game that they're also going to want to put you know in their rear view and put in the distance and just forget about it because they were very very poor on the day definitely not uh, the Tottenham that people expected, as uh, I guess, underneath Conte's new regime, they were expecting a much more defensively sound and just more compact Tottenham side, which wasn't there against Chelsea, but definitely was there against Morecambe, who did score first in the game after some good work from more, the Morecambe players, it must be said. But in the second half, when Tottenham brought on their A players, their, their all-stars, the Harry Canes of this world and the, uh, the Lucas Moras of this world, the game completely switched on its head and Tottenham won 3-1. A very, very convincing victory for, for Spurs. And the fans are definitely loving it. Obviously, like I said, coming from, coming back from a, a very tricky result. A 2-0 loss to Chelsea in midweek. And of course, they play Chelsea this week again in the Carabao Cup sec- semi-final second leg at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So we'll see how that pans out. Speaking of Chelsea, I should mention that Chelsea also were able to pick up a very, very good win. Convincing win against fifth tier side Chesterfield and the last time these two teams played I think was was probably the first game Chelsea played uh, when they were first bought for basically for like a pound at that time that's part a part of Chelsea's history if you guys didn't know that but uh, it was CFC versus CFC and the CFC from London prevailed I mean you could expect that was going to happen Thomas Tuchel formed and put out a very very strong and and very competent 11 with the likes of Timo Werner Callum Hudson-Odoi Romelu Lukaku Andreas Christensen and Hakim Ziyech, who all got on the score sheet and made it a convincing 5-1 victory. A goal from Akwasi Asante, who was absolutely dumbfounded and, uh, I guess, completely shocked 
by the fact that he was able to score a goal at Stamford Bridge and fair play. Of course, you know, it's a big goal for Chesterfield and it definitely meant a lot to him and to the 6,000 fans that traveled from Chesterfield to Chelsea. And and from what I've seen on their reaction on social media, they absolutely loved the trip. They enjoyed playing at Stamford Bridge. And of course, that's what the FA Cup is all about. This kind of unity, this neighborhood, neighborly love, brotherly love that you see in English football. This is what, I think the FA Cup brings it out the most out of any competition in England, arguably in Europe. And we saw it again in this fixture. Arsenal losing one nothing against Nottingham Forest, which is the game I'm going to deeply dissect now. So please strap in and get ready. Arsenal, who, I mean, let's just say, have had a very turbulent slash excellent season. And I say that to say that they've been extremely inconsistent, which obviously inconsistent simply meaning one game they play well and the next game they play absolutely terribly. And they can't seem to find that consistent balance of even if we don't play our top 11, we're still going to find a way to pick up a result. And mind you, of course, playing against a ninth place um, Nottingham Forest is much different than Chelsea playing against a National League, not even a, le- a professional league-based Chesterfield. But what must be mentioned is that Arsenal's level and what they're accustomed to is such that whoever plays for Arsenal on the day should put up a 110% performance. Not necessarily that they have to win, but at least try to win. And in this game, you could see, and Arsenal fans were saying this on Arsenal Fan TV, and many Arsenal fans were saying this across social media and just in general, that Arsenal fans, or Arsenal players didn't look convinced. They didn't look like they were really up for the fight. And Nottingham Forest, especially Jed Spence, Spence who I must mention, had a 10 out of 10 performance. What a right back. He's looking like Max Ahrens on steroids when he was with Norwich in the championship. Obviously, in the Premier League, it's a different Max Ahrens, but... Jed Spence is looking like the real deal. At least after this game, he was easily the best player on the field, in my opinion. Absolutely skinning Martinelli, skinning the likes of uh, Nuno Tavares, skinning Kieran Tierney. That left side was getting taken, taken to the to, to the uh, to the dump and just getting uh, dismantled, getting ripped apart. But uh, obviously, a big talking point is Nuno Tavares or Nuno Tavares, as they call him, uh, getting taken off after 35 minutes, which. For me, is not too controversial, Controversial, but is at the same time, given that depending on who the player is, like we've seen this with Chelsea and Hudson-Odoi being hooked off after like uh, coming, off in, uh, coming on in the second half as a sub and then getting taken off immediately like 25 minutes later by Thomas Tuchel, which we've seen something similar there. But I do think that depending on the player and depending on the player's age, his, his standing, his status, his, just his personality, his confidence level, these things vary and these the impact of subbing off a player after or 35 minutes before halftime will change depending on these uh the variables i just mentioned but you look at like look at a player like nuno Tavares just come from uh sporting to uh to chelsea or chelsea to arsenal they're london rivals i don't think i'm thinking about chelsea all the time i'm sorry but just to say that he didn't have a great performance and you could argue that arteta made the right decision but it is clear that uh uh, Nuno will not be happy about that decision and you can see how devastated he was at first as a fan or just a fan of the game not at the Arsenal per se but a fan of the game I thought that it was a decision based on the fact that he was injured or maybe he had picked up a slight knock or strain that we didn't see but no it's simply tactical and I thought that did confirm that in the post-match interview as well and that just goes to show you that he's he means business which is i mean for from a fan's perspective that's brilliant to see that if a player is playing poorly the coach won't keep him on and just let him continue to rot and kind of ruin the rest of the game for the team however arsenal fans were complaining that Enketia was doing this himself by the fact that he played 90 minutes and was playing just as bad and not worse than uh nuna tavares himself but 
Arsenal losing one nothing after a goal from Lewis Graben, who hasn't scored a goal in ages. I think it's about seven or eight years now to make it one nothing after some really good work down the right side of Nottingham Forest's attack and Arsenal's uh, left side of Arsenal's defense. But um, just a really good game overall. Had a lot of intensity, had a lot of grit, had a lot of uh, passion in it. You could see the the fire, the fieriness, I guess, in both teams. And it became very apparent as the game wore on. You could see Arsenal were getting more desperate and started to throwing, start, starting to throw more numbers forward and getting more involved with the attacking third and just doing everything they can to obviously pick up a, at least the solitary goal they needed at the time when it was nil nil to win. Bringing on the likes of Sead Kalasinac and hoping that that would be the difference did not prove to be the difference. Obviously, Kalasinac is a player that Arsenal fans absolutely despise. So when I saw him come on, I knew that the game was finished. I had a feeling like it was done. I said, okay, like when you see Kalasinac come on for Arsenal, you know the game's over at this point. You know Arsenal are just throwing in the towel. They're saying it's over because he's not a guy any Arsenal fan wants to see. And he's not one that's going to make them win the game, let's say, from like a, I don't know, a special moment of brilliance. He's not going to give you some Neymar moment, you know, MVP to Neymar left foot, right foot, breaking people and score. So that kind of signaled the end for me when I saw that. But it was kind of funny to see, but I have to say, uh, that's just the way it is sometimes when your squad depth isn't as deep as it could be. And Arsenal fans have been complaining about this for years. But, I mean, it must be said that they have definitely made steps in the right direction and they're definitely making a lot of progress, which is what you want to see if you're a fan of the club, of course. But overall, they will be disappointed because it is a trophy and a tournament that Arsenal are typically very 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 good and they often win uh, most of the 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 finals that they're in first of all and they often win most of the cups altogether i think there's a huge stat that shows that i think chelsea and them have are like they've won 15 of the last like 20 years or something like that something crazy something ridiculous along those lines but just to say that yeah they will be looking to really rectify their mistakes in this game and put on a showing that was not uh I guess, akin to the one we saw in this game. Of course, there was a whole uh, message that they were showing through their jerseys. as They were wearing an all-white kit to represent No More Red, which is supposed to, to tackle and to, to highlight the knife violence that occurs in London and has been happening in London for a while now. Of course, uh, it was obviously a very beautiful message to see, and it was nice to see the players and Arsenal looking to kind of eradicate this by not wearing red on their jersey. Although, ironically, they had some red by having the FA Cup badge itself on the jersey. And they're playing against a red team. But uh, let's just say that, you know, we forget about those other things. The overall political message was nice to see, despite the poor performance. But we move to what happened between Liverpool and Shrewsbury Town next. On to Liverpool versus Shrewsbury and Liverpool who you often think in the FA Cup don't take it that seriously because of how Klopp's approach to the Cup competitions often is. He more he focuses more on the Champions League and the Premier League and fair play. I mean, those are the more significant competitions and the more meaningful ones for players to win in their minds. I mean, if you're coming from a different background, the FA Cup means something different to you. But for a lot of international players, they don't view it, I don't think. This is at least how I see it, the way they would view a Champions League or a domestic league uh, trophy. And for that reason, they often feel a bunch of the children, as we say, a bunch of the babies, all the uh, the children, the kids, the likes of Cade Gordon and Tyler Morton and uh, some uh, guy named uh, Dixon Boner, which I think everybody who heard that thought that, was, thought that was hilarious because it didn't sound like a real name, but it is his name, Elijah, Elijah Dixon Boner. But the point is... Uh, the point is, is that Liverpool continue to to dominate and to just, I guess, impose themselves against any team they play against because they're continuously deadly, ruthless. No matter what eleven plays, they have the same DNA and identity all across the club. 
and that shows you Klopp's uh, his it, it, the impression he he puts on his players and the identity he he stamps on each and every one of them. The DNA it's in their blood to play aggressive and high pressing football that leads to many counterattacks and many opportunities to score. Fabinho scoring twice in this game, one from the penalty spot, another from open play. And, I mean, he ran the show in midfield and Van Dyke as well. And, obviously, Robertson, the three guys that are uh, really Liverpool regulars and staples in the Liverpool side. And they proved their dominance in this win with the 4-1 win against Shrewsbury, which was a very convincing victory, of course, for the Reds of of Merseyside. We move on to Wolves versus Sheffield United. Wolves... Winning three nothing, good goals from two goals from Daniel Podence and one from Nelsinho Semedo, who, in my opinion, is the most fraudulent player of of all time in the Premier League, at least the most fraudulent right back in the Prem. And I mean, I call it the year of the Semedo because if you guys haven't seen this, you have to watch this. Go and watch Nelson Semedo against uh, Barcelona when Barca, no, against Barcelona against Bayern Munich when he's playing for Barca and they lose eight two at the Camp Nou. And watch Alfonso Davies and watch Coutinho against Semedo specifically in that game and you'll see why I say he's fraudulent because when I look at right backs I think the right back position has really really evolved and it's that's happened partly because of the way the game has changed in terms of you know being more possess- possession based more uh, attacking and relying more on the fullbacks to get involved in in the in the threat from open play as opposed to you know swinging the crosses in and just simply defending and keeping their shape defensively the fullbacks are asked to get pushed on further forward and to join in on the the attacks and be the kind of the link man and the final man to, to deliver the final ball to kill up the, the opportunity to score. But we see with Nelson Semedo, who, like I said, is just the player you think to yourself, Lord knows how you played for Barcelona given your you know, your inability to play the, as an elite wingback. And of course, I'm not expecting him to be Dani Alves or to be, I don't know, prime Cafu, but it's clear you can see there's a drop-off massively when you look at him versus some of the other right-backs in the Prem and also just across world football. But he did score in this game, despite the fact that I'm talking and slandering him so much. And he made it 3 nothing or 2 nothing, sorry, for Wolves in a good win for Wolves against Sheffield United. The Blades, that you guys must, guys must remember for, after being in the Premier League for the uh, two seasons ago. But we move on to West Ham versus Leeds, which finished 2-0 for West Ham. Lanzini scoring again. He's been in a really good run of form. And West Ham, as a, as a, in general, as a club, as a whole, have been sensational this season. Arguably the best team in Europe, given their quality, or I guess the lack thereof. And the, the, just the, the, how they're able to get the most out of uh, a limited group of players, a limited side of players. But having Declan Rice, who for me is one of the best midfielders in the world at this point, you can see his poise, his elegance, his his guile on the ball. It's it's exceptional. It's really it's mesmerizing. It's breathtaking when he's able to pick up the ball in the midfield and just glide past players as if he's prime Musa Dembele at Spurs. And if you know, you know. So when you watch West Ham, you often get that impression that they're going to work really hard for the badge. They're going to go out there and put everything they have. They're going to get into tough tackles. They're going to look to win set pieces and look to score from set pieces. And that's often their threat. But even these, you know, more cute and uh, nifty and nimble players like the Lanzini and Jared Bowen, who's also been in a just an absolute tear this season. Jared Bowen has been easily one of the best players in England, and nobody talks about him. I mean, he plays for West Ham. West Ham often get overlooked, just like Aston Villa, who we will get to in a second. But you see it when you watch West Ham. You think to yourself, okay, so they're probably going to either concede a lot of goals, despite the fact that they played very well, or they're not going to score. And he goes themselves, and they're also not going to concede any goals themselves. It's a very weird, tricky balance where 
if it's against a good side, they'll often really turn up. But against the more poor sides, they have a way of conceding against them. But like I said, they're very 50-50. But we can, what you can guarantee is that David Moyes has drilled into them that they must put out 150% effort or else they are not getting the paycheck next week. You know, So you see that very often with their, with their, their determination and grit in their performances. But we move on to the last big side I want to mention, which is the game between Manchester United and Aston Villa, which finished one nothing between these two sides. Scott McTominay, or Scooby-Doo as I call him, uh, scored the only goal in the eighth minute after a good cross from Angolan Fred, his uh, Scooby-Doo partner in crime, and made it one nothing for, for Man United. Villa, who dominated the game from basically, I'd say, the 15th minute until the 90th minute, were sensational in the opening stages or later stages of the first half and the entirety of the second half were really, really good, Aston Villa. And Gerard has Villa playing at a level that you would never have expected given how soon he's come into Villa and he's really made a difference in the style of play and the link-up play and also the chemistry that players have with each other. Villa, Villa always looked a bit disjointed, a bit disconnected, a, a bit misunderstood amongst each other. And I think now with Gerard, he's finally finding a way to bridge the gap that they have, I guess, on the field, but also probably off it. You can see there's a lot of harmony amongst the Villa team, which is one of the biggest things in football. It's not always about how you perform directly in the game, but it's about the mental, like the, the emotional and mental side of it as well, which I always harp on. And I think when you can match your ability on the field with those three or the mental and emotional, those three things all together, they come harmoniously together. You can really get a fruitful and beautiful outcome result. So I think Villa, in my opinion, who this season have been better than Manchester United, let's be very honest, deserved at least a goal in this game. I mean, there's a goal that was called out for Lord knows what, as uh, Watkins and Ings were involved and Ings trying to tap it in and it wasn't given because Watkins apparently got his foot onto the ball and then they just they decided that wasn't offside because for some reason that wasn't the issue. Then they moved on from the Ings-Watkins situation and focused on the fact that Cavani got bodied in the build-up. Oh, just a bunch of drama. Manchester United drama, man. Typical. But United were poor. And it's not exaggeration. It's not me coming to slander them. But United fans know they were poor. So I'm not saying something that's that's uh, directed at them to say, oh, you guys, are, you guys are so bad. Like, you can't play football. It's clear. They can see it in their own eyes that they picked up a very lucky win today and are, and are fortunate to be going to the fourth round. I mean, you're playing against a Premier League competition. It's not going to be easy. Nobody expects you to beat Villa, especially when they performed so well at Old Trafford earlier in the season. So... They have a, definitely a bit of hunger, a bit of bite in their in in their teeth, between their teeth. But we move on to midweek, which sees us have the game between Chelsea and Tottenham, and also the scandalous game between Liverpool and uh, and Arsenal. As Liverpool claimed that they had thirteen false positives, which led to a whole bunch of drama and people suggesting that Liverpool should be removed from the Carabao Cup and Arsenal should get a bye to the finals. The FA will investigate that, as they've said. Uh, in the meantime, we move on to the real game. as not had, doesn't have any real fraudulence connected to it. Chelsea versus Spurs. 2 nothing for Chelsea going into the second leg. What are my predictions? I'm going to go for a 1-1. Uh, I think Chelsea will advance. I think Chelsea will go to the finals. Will they win the finals? I couldn't tell you. But I think that it will be 1-1 in the second leg. Um... But we'll see how that goes. Of course, you know, football, like I always say, is super unpredictable. Anything can happen in the world of football. But as we see uh, time and time again, things often vary and they change. So with one thing, one time I might say something and make a prediction and it, it becomes entirely the opposite of what I said. And of course, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not that so, I'm not raving from that so raving. I can't see into the future. If you know, you know again. But I definitely um, have a 
strong suspicion that Chelsea will pick up all three points. I will quickly touch on the Serie A, which I think is becoming definitely the second best league in Europe. Juventus, with coming back from a cracking game of football with a massive comeback over over Roma. And Juventus are somehow in fifth place now, only 11 points behind Inter. And they were earlier in like 16th place after a terrible start this season. Juventus with an absolute resurgence back to the top again of the Italian uh, pyramid uh, with the likes of Atalanta, Napoli, Milan, Inter only ahead of them now. And after beating the team who's directly beneath them, Roma, they have now created a six-point gap above the Romans. Uh, Mourinho, who I'm shocked, to be honest, hasn't been sacked yet because of how many poor performances Roma continue to put up. But uh, he's still there at the helm, and Abraham is still scoring goals despite the fact that his team continues to lose. But uh, we move on. Inter winning 2-1, uh, Milan winning 3-0, Napoli winning 1-0, and Atalanta winning a typical Atalanta style 6-2. A very good side. I will touch on them in the future as well. And you guys can expect the Everton episode to come within the next two or three days, if not early next week. So stay tuned for that. The Everton rebuild and what Everton or what's wrong with Everton basically will be spoken about, will be discussed in a future episode. So keep your ears uh, peeled and of course if you guys enjoyed the content i made with my brother nari you guys are more than welcome to let me know how much you loved it like i said leave a review leave a rating let me know uh, let's build up let's build up as many people as we can to this sts squad we're trying to build a a full club here we're trying to make a full squad full of technical directors all the way down to the managers to the players to the academy all of the above we're trying to make that so definitely bring up the interaction you guys can speak to me of course i have all my links and stuff that will be coming in a separate outro uh um, i guess snippet or excerpt that will come but as always thank you guys for listening i appreciate all of you and i hope you guys have enjoyed it i will be back again shortly to discuss everything football again in my next episode of the stevens footy inside which was kind of what this was but this is more of an epic cup edition speaking about each club's ambitions of winning the epic cup oh quick prediction i do think that Manchester City will win the FA Cup this year. That's my prediction. So there you guys are with that. Again, thank you all for listening. Love. I will love you and leave you. Goodbye. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at Pod on Instagram, at SteveOtalksFooty on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.